Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Heidi, wonderful to see you. Likewise, how are you doing? Doing really well. It's uh, that time of the year when it gets a bit darker in uh, Norway. I guess it gets a bit darker in the whole hemisphere. But uh, doing well. It's cold, uh, but I think it's always so, so nice to get a bit out, take some fresh air. How about you? Can't agree more. This uh, period of darkness is uh, a bit depressing. And this was one of the reasons why I actually moved from... People might not know uh, that I am from the very uh, top of the country, or not the entire top, uh, but I am from the north of Norway, where it gets really dark for several months. So I am glad to be in the south, although I'm dreading the time ahead. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, come on, I moved from Montenegro to Norway. So I think we went a bit <laughs> in opposite directions there. Oh. But speaking of doom and gloom, so we talked about audits last time. And uh, why don't we just chat a little bit about like when things go wrong under the GDPR? And then the enforcement is the first thing that comes to mind, right? Uh, what are the authorities likely to do once they once they come to you, once they catch you red-handed so <laughs> with your hand uh, in the cookie jar yeah, yeah exactly. a very heavily debated uh, theme that i think we uh, we uh, discussed or at least we uh, the two of us discussed the uh, report from access now with their review of uh, four years of the gdpr so we could link to that in the show notes as well yeah i mean i think it's very very nice to have those resources and i'm sure everybody kind of benefits from going through the links and just finding this stuff but looking into the enforcement of the gdpr in general would you say that i mean where we were some years ago when four percent fines were everything and the only reason why gdpr got on everybody's radar was because people were scared they would suddenly be paying millions or billions uh, do you think that that view still holds today I'm not sure. So one thing we do know was that in 2018, it was full panic and privacy policies and asking for consent and all of that. And then it seemed to uh, have calmed a bit after a couple of years. And then we had a slight uptake again. But I think that the fines absolutely had a huge effect because we have had these rules in place for years and years. Like the last Privacy Act uh, in Norway was from the year of 2000. So there's little new with the GDPR and I think just the the, uh, hype. It was extremely hyped in the media. Come on, let's let's agree on that. So, Mm. But I also think that this is... uh, probably, and this is just my view, it's probably just a normal progress with uh, any kind of new-ish law. Because if you look at uh, health and safety laws uh, in Norway, for example, uh, the impression there was that it took a few years before people started to pay attention. So it just needs some time to settle. But of course, there are many things to uh, criticize around the enforcement. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, enforcement is such a such a Pandora's box, right? Where do you even start? So let's maybe start just by looking into the toolbox that the data protection authorities have. So this whole story about fines, as you say, it ended up generating this huge media hype. And I think that was pretty much a perfect storm. 
because it started with Snowden and then we got um, Cambridge Analytica and all of those cases which were very juicy for journalists and then you had the 4% time on top time fine on top of that uh, and you know you make sure that boards suddenly start paying attention because media is talking so much about that so i think yay score for data protection and privacy in that sense but do you think that um, you do a lot of comparison between different decisions, different fines and stuff? Do you see kind of um, this systematic difference in levels of fines still? Because that was what was problematic under the directive, from what I understand. So there's been challenges there for sure. And you know that I dig thoroughly through the GDPR hub and I read pretty much every single decision that is summarized there. And uh, we have the newsletter and all of that. And I, of course, have RSS on every imaginable website uh, under the GDPR. So I, I think that the... So people are most always see the huge fines, like to the uh, Googles and the Facebooks and uh, all of that. But you have several, several other fines uh, as well. I think uh, from my last analysis, uh, we had. Uh, this is interesting because I have to I have to take one step back and explain a little bit about the GDPR hub because it is, after all, an open wiki. So, which is prone to all of the things with an open wiki, with uh, people randomly adding and editing stuff. And there is a huge inconsistency in how people log articles on the different decisions. So you might not get the full impression of how many fines we actually have. If you look at uh, the last uh, data pool I did a couple of months back, it was only 181 of over 2,000 decisions that were logged with Article 83. But then 760 of those had a specified fine number. So there are some inconsistency there. When it comes to the uh, level of fines given by the various uh, authorities, there are some differences. But now after the EDPB gave out their guidance on how to calculate a fine, I expect this to be uh, much more similar going forward. Well, I mean, it still has to be proportionate and adopted to a local uh, to local conditions. I mean, uh, I guess 10,000 euros is not the same in Norway as it would be in Montenegro or Spain or wherever. So I think that there needs to be some, um, I guess, assessment of proportionality in any case. But this whole discussion facing on fines, I think we always say that when we start kind of discussing them and whenever we hold lectures about them, we always say, don't only focus on the fines. There are many, many other aspects of the GDPR which are equally as important, which are more important. I mean, we have uh, actually a few guest lectures from uh, the Norwegian Data Protection Authority joining us um, at the uh, school where I teach. And they always they always hold very engaging lectures. <laughs> but uh, something stuck with me the last time. I thought time. you were going to say, uh, talk about fines. Yeah, yeah, but I'll, I'll get there, actually, because what they always say is that like fines are just one tool in their toolbox. And what they prefer is actually reaching out to people, educating, going, getting out there and kind of, you know, building people up instead of, um, I'm going to say, tearing them down with fines. Yeah. Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you take that? Like, Yeah, I have to say we, based on all the decisions that I've read and summarized, not least on the GDPR hub for the Norwegian DPA, they are pretty pragmatic. And um, actually, I was there on Monday to give a presentation about the GDPR hub, uh, spreading all the good stuff about that. And it's... uh, 
interesting, uh, and I, I'll just have to mention some of the statistics that I found, because even though there are faults in the data itself, it still gives you a pretty good indication of where where is the GDPR breached the most. And would you guess which article would be on the very top of that list? Uh, let me guess. It has to be something that it's easy for authorities to check. Um... No, I can't guess. <laughs> wait, wait, I want to guess. I'm going to say data protection agreements 28. Oh, absolutely not. That's not even on the list at all. What? You're, you're joking. <laughs> it's the one thing we always keep coming back to, Milos. Uh, no, not, the, not uh, tell me Article it's principles. Article 5. Oh, God, no. But come yes. on, that's also because they can always say, oh, you know what, this is against the principle of fairness. Yes, it is. So uh, I actually asked them about it. And very often when you have GDPR breaches, you can like compare that with the uh, Article 5 or Article 24, which is almost uh, a default in many of these uh, decisions. So on the very, very top, you have actually 5.1a. And then on second place is number article 13. Private information provided to data subject. Yeah. And okay. if we then look at, uh, if we summarize all of these findings, and I've only looked at the uh, top 1% of these 2000 plus decisions. And yes, I do love my Excel work. And on uh, the biggest chunk of that pie is uh, Article 5, followed by 6, 32, and then 83. And I absolutely think that 83, 83 should have a bigger portion of that because so many of the decisions on the GDPR hub where they have issued a fine have not been logged with that article. So we do have some work to do in uh, in the data there. So yes, but uh, absolutely looking at all the breaches and uh, fines will be a part of this. Um, but we do have other um, penalties as well. Yeah, definitely. And we've recently talked about them. I mean, we've had wonderful conversations about them uh, with, uh, with the Danish DPA, between ourselves, with, I think we've actually spoken about this in what, four episodes. And yes, I'm thinking of Helsingør. Of course, not least uh, the uh, infamous uh, Helsingør uh, slash Google case uh, will have to say. So for those uh, listening in for the first time, please do check out our numerous episodes on uh, this very interesting case, which is just such a fantastic case to study from a GDPR perspective on how not to do GDPR compliance, wouldn't you say? Yes, with a few disclaimers, but yes, yes, I definitely agree. At this point, I feel like I have to go to Helsinki just to see the place. You know, it sounds magical. <laughs> like maybe we'll have a study trip there next year. Yes, we can have a, like a grumpy a... DPO uh, or grumpy GDPR event in uh, yes. Helsinki. <laughs> Wonderful. But they got hit with a ban on processing or temporary ban on data transfers, to be precise, right? Yeah. Well, uh, both actually. So a uh, processing ban on that specific processing construction, which is important to uh, emphasize again. So it's not a Google specific decision or a US specific decision, but it was due to how the municipality had set up this whole processing activity around using Chromebooks and Google Workspace for children in their schools. So 
after this case started in September 2021, or that was the first decision, it started in 2019. But uh, it then ended up with uh, the DPI having to take that very drastic step, I'd say, to uh, to actually um, uh, ban the processing and suspend the transfers. And this is this is pr- a pretty harsh decision, I'd say. Mm. No, it, it probably creates far more far-reaching consequences than just just a fine. Right. Because then you really have to rethink your processing from ground up. And also, especially for bigger organizations, Mm. which have deep pockets, obviously, they're going to be hit more by a temporary or permanent ban than by a fine. There's actually a wonderful paper. We can link to it as well, uh, written um, by by a Norwegian doctoral candidate who explored exactly this this topic. But I fully agree. You know, uh, ban on processing is going to hit harder very often. Yeah, I think somebody called it the uh, nuclear bomb of the uh, GDPR. Because if you get issued a fine, you get some time to pay that, right? And you can appeal and you have all that good stuff, which you can do, of course, with a processing ban as well. But uh, with a processing ban and a suspended transfer order, then you might get very little time, like in the Helsingör case, to actually remedy the situation. So uh, this, I would say, was a fault of the municipality due to the lack of the, the whole work around this case. So for others uh, who have uh, their uh, house more in order, I don't think it would have as dramatic effect. But of course, paying a fine is one thing, but stopping the processing, meaning that the school children wouldn't uh, have access to their regular computers, for example, is uh, is quite uh, dramatic. Mm. No, it's it, it is exactly as you say, very very dramatic, and hopefully something that we will see used by data protection authorities more and more. Yeah, absolutely. And to compare with another municipality, so in uh, Norway we had a huge case that was a lot in the media with the uh, Östre Toten municipality that were uh, had a ransomware attack last year. And they were in the end fined by the Norwegian DPA of about 400, almost 400,000 euro, which is uh, quite a large sum, not least considering that they estimate having spent over 3.2 million euros on that attack. And then you get slapped with a fine uh, in addition. And we can talk about that. I think we'll have to talk about that in a different episode, finding public authorities in this way. But uh, that is uh, a whole separate podcast, I think. Mm. No, it's such a fascinating topic, especially seeing how the enforcement actually started. But yes, as you say, let's get into that deeper. And then there are other things, right? There are fines and there are uh, bans on processing. I seem to recall that there are like uh, public reprimands of uh, data controllers (laughs) that like a data protection authority can say, bad Google. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and this is one of the things that... I think, unfortunately, works in the uh, for the management teams and in the boardrooms. You don't want to find yourself on the front page of, and then you reference the national biggest news outlet or uh, media. Uh, in 2022 at least like I've used that sentence since 2018 that you don't want to see yourself on the front cover for uh, privacy and data protection breaches or ignoring people's privacy or don't caring about it or 
something uh, along those lines? Well, I think I think there are two things to think about it here. One is to be slightly optimistic. One is to be deeply cynical. And you can suspect which one I'm going to take. So I think <laughs> when it comes to like holding the businesses accountable and like damaging their reputation, yes, there, this is a possibility. But this is kind of far less tangible, far less, um, what can I say? There are few people who would really, comparatively few people who would really change which services they use based on a company's privacy-related reputation. Wouldn't you agree? Um, I want to say no, but I unfortunately think I have to uh, agree with you that generally... Probably most people think that, or I wouldn't say most people, but there's been like a tendency to say that uh, I have nothing to hide or I uh, I don't mind. They see a breach in the media and just it's not that important. Um, I think this is also a, yeah, I think also we need to do an episode on this because it's, uh, if you say that I have nothing to hide, I think you you have uh, you are very privileged. Mm. Yeah. So um, we'll have to discuss that some other yes. time, Milos. Yeah. But I'm thinking it's not just uh, so that's one aspect of it that you could lose customers, but that's not the only way that uh, reputational damage in relation to the GDPR is going to hurt your business. Because I'm thinking then of two more things, one of which would be that probably your business is going to lose like business to business relations, right? Just yeah. thinking about the simple duty to pick out processors which offer necessary guarantees, blah, blah, blah. Like if you're out there in the media being shamed as a bad, bad processor, like that is, that has to affect who engages you. Well, it goes directly on 28.1, right? Yeah. It's my exactly. responsibility to ensure that I only use processors that can demonstrate necessary, blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. absolutely, this is something that uh, uh, companies and organizations uh, have to be very aware of. And then there comes the cynical part, actually. So you lose business to business, but also people who are in the management teams at that time, they are going to be held accountable by the boards of directors. They are going to be held accountable by shareholders, right? So those people could actually really see significant damage to their career if they don't implement serious enough policies. Yeah, like we saw in the Uber case. So uh, this is something for people to absolutely take note of. And I'll have to uh, mention one specific case from uh, the GDPR hub as well when we talk about uh, bad reputation and all that good stuff. So some people are very conscious about their reputation. And there was a case in uh, France where uh, Total Energies France had pleaded with the French uh, DPA, the CNIL, to not make this decision against them public because, and I'm going to quote from my post on this, uh, they argue that it should not be made public because it would be disproportionate in light of the limited nature of the alleged breaches and its compliance. And they also claimed that this would significantly impact their image slash reputation and be favorable to their main competitors in a very competitive market. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's deeply nonsensical. Now, obviously, I also don't know anything in French administrative law, but I think a public agency not publishing a decision, there has to be a higher threshold than like, oh, we've done something wrong, but you need to feel a bit yeah. sorry for us. 
And and the the funny thing about this uh, case is that not only did Kneel publish the decision, they also published that plead to not <laughs> publish it. So I think that was like a, a double penalty for them. Okay, I'll, a d- double, triple actually, because they were fined uh, in addition one million euros. But considering that they had uh, an income in 2021 of 16 billion dollars, the fine is absolutely peanuts. It, it's uh, you know it doesn't matter at all. Uh, so I'd say that the reputational damage here was uh, worse than uh, the fine imposed. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. But speaking of the fines and different mechanisms, I actually do think that we have something to learn from the US with the FTC. Not yeah. thinking to the infamous five billion. Uh, settlement with Facebook. If we look into how that case uh, developed, uh, Facebook in light of Cambridge Analytica and everything else uh, gets reviewed by the Federal Trade Commission and it gets um, the first draft of the fine is something like $130 million. And however, as part of their investigation, they then get, of course, they have the authority to subpoena people to actually ask uh, you know to put mark and to put shirley on a witness stand and to ask them questions so it turns out that facebook ended up paying five billion just to avoid the situation in which these two have to go to court have to be under oath have to be questioned and then potentially held personally liable and to me this is what you know this is inspiring this is what maybe we should consider doing in the uh in the eu actually find a way to move away from this simple concept of abstract concept of who is a data controller and just say you know what we're going to interrogate your board of directors and yes i know there are democratic (laughs) implications but i mean it worked it worked yeah Yeah, i think uh, maybe we should compile uh, this type of feedback and uh, to the the suggestion of uh, the uh, updated uh, gdpr whenever whenever that's due you know, they're just dying to hear from us. <laughs> of course, the grumpy GDPR people have to be included. I have to say one more thing on the topic of FTC. If you look into the details, what they've done is actually told Facebook, no, in detail, you're going to go here and you're going to appoint these, pri- or not these people, but like privacy coordinators at this level, and you will make this body. And that is, I know that that goes wow. against our idea of like accountability of a data controller, but at some point you have to say, look, these people are not doing anything. Money plays no role. So let's just, you know, and go And they in there w- and you know them. how to leverage the system in uh, in Europe. Come on. They know it's just appeal it. And then it's going to go back and forth for 10 plus years. So that is just another way for them to get out of this, which is very unfortunate. Sure. So I think that we've covered kind of the grumpy type of fines. I'm going to, you know, end up on a less cynical note myself and say that I actually do agree with the authority that the best tool they have is to get out there and communicate and teach people and speak with them. Yeah, and try to emphasize what is the value actually in uh, not just saying we take privacy and data protection seriously in your privacy website notice, but actually looking at how can we ethically and lawfully 
leverage data in our business to do good things, not only for the data subjects, for but for our business. There are so many ways to do this and to really get value from data without exploiting people in the pro- process. So I think that this is just for the benefit of uh, businesses and organizations and uh, scaring with fines uh, can only get you that far. Fully agree. And then let's just uh, keep looking out for new fine cases that we find cases, you know, (laughs) that we can discuss in our next episodes. And in the meantime, I wish everybody a very grumpy start of December. Likewise from here. Thanks. Speak again soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye.